Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. We're taking a slightly different angle today. Purpose of this podcast was always to talk about your wealth. So we've spent a lot of time talking about investment markets in recent years. They've been so interesting, so much to talk about. But there are so many other aspects of maintaining and growing your wealth over time and ensuring your financial security. And elements of that have just been hitting the headlines day after day in recent weeks with the fairly extraordinary data breaches that have both happened and come to light. I recorded a podcast with NABS Group security team several years ago. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I do recommend it. It was just fantastic. Talking about scams primarily and some of the situations people find themselves in when nefarious actors are attempting to part them from their money. But this is is different now, right? This is not individuals missing obvious signs. This is businesses... Uh, putting people in fairly difficult positions, obviously not intentionally. So I'm joined again today by NABS Group Security team. We're a bank. We spend a lot of time trying to ensure that people's money is secure. That is really what we exist to do. Laura Hartley-Quinn from the security team is joining me to talk through what individuals are facing into at the moment and what you can possibly do about it in what seems like a really difficult situation. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks for having me. So, Laura, can you tell us a bit about what has been happening with stolen data with all the recent data breaches we've been hearing about? There have been a number of large-scale data breaches lately impacting major organisations in Australia. And from the end of September until now, so only two months, this has included Optus, Medibank, Energy Australia and MyDeal, to name a few. And I'd have to say it's the most data breaches I've ever seen in a concentrated period of in 10 years of working in this industry. And some of them have exposed personal information, including identity records, driver's licenses, Medicare cards, passports, dates of birth, physical addresses. And some have also exposed sensitive health records, which really impact on people's privacy. Yeah, it's really shocking. And I think we all know your personal data is incredibly important it's it's quite anxiety-inducing. There are some people far more vulnerable than others in these sorts of situations. Probably the first question I should ask you is why do criminals want this data and what can they use it for? Um, they can monetize it so they can sell it uh, on the black on the on the black market or the dark web. And as we've seen with a lot of these breaches, they can also use it to extort. The business to say, um, we have all your customer records, uh, pay us a ransom or we're going to release it. And then we've also seen attempts to extort the actual individuals to say, you pay me, otherwise I'll expose your data. And then the last angle is using that exposed information um, either for identity theft, so maybe opening a, you know, um, a loan in your name or, or something like that, or using it to conduct crime. So there's a lot they can do with that information, unfortunately, which, uh, like you said, is why protecting it is so important. 
Yeah, it's really terrifying and, you know, we don't want to go into too much detail, but certainly with Medibank. And I know when we first discussed doing this podcast, we're like, we're not going to mention the names of any companies. But now there's so many companies. It's just a long list. You're not calling out anyone in particular. But with the health data that's in the public domain, you can imagine making people really, really anxious. You know, we've talked about scams in the past. No one's fallen for anything in this situation, like no one's made any personal errors of judgment. This is very much about the business. So can individuals do anything to protect themselves from being in the situation that we're talking about? Customers haven't done anything wrong. Uh, and, you know, uh, signing up to be customers of these businesses wasn't wrong in the first place. And it can feel really unsettling to have that data about you exposed. And I know that firsthand because I'm impacted by these breaches as well. Um, so there's nothing that they really could have done to protect themselves from this happening. But the good news is there's a lot they can do to protect themselves post post the data breach. And that's where um, we can provide some advice and help today. So that's the real, as you say, the really unsettling part is, and even with scams, when we talked about that, some of them are very sophisticated now, right? People feel so foolish and and so frustrated and anxious after the fact. But this is one where you've not done anything wrong and you're just going about your daily life and suddenly you've got data in the public domain that can cause you great harm and if nothing else, great distress. So what suggestions do you have for people who found themselves in this situation? If you know your data has been stolen or you suspect it has, what do you do? It's important to really carefully read the data breach notifications sent to you by the organisation to properly understand how you are impacted and what has actually been exposed. Often people skim it and sure that might be um, what you do the first time, but when the shock's worn off, come back and read it again carefully to make sure you um, properly comprehend how you're impacted. If it's a good notification, they'll spell out the impact of having that information exposed and provide practical next steps. The second thing is, if you've had passwords exposed in the data breach, change them. Remember to use a complex, unique password for each online account. And while you can, if you can, turn on multi-factor authentication uh, for each account, it provides an extra layer of security, even if someone has your password. So that can provide you a bit of comfort that you know that someone can't get into your online accounts, um, even if they had your password for some reason, which hopefully you will have changed anyway. If you've had identity documents exposed, like has happened in some of these breaches, so passports, driver's license, Medicare cards, then definitely have those documents replaced. And the process to do that has been somewhat streamlined given all the breaches of late, which is a good thing. And this can help limit a criminal being able to use that information to impersonate you for identity theft purposes. Some of the impacted organisations are offering free credit monitoring, um, which is something to consider. You might find that helpful if you know you have great visibility of um, who's accessing your credit file. You can also place a credit ban on your file for three weeks at a time so no one can access it. But just keep in mind that also includes you. So be careful not to do that if you'll need access to your own credit file, like if you're buying a home. And I've heard some stories about that lately. And lastly, um, be on the lookout for suspicious messages. We certainly have seen an uptick of those. Um, it's probably opportunistic for the most part, but that advice goes for whether you've been impacted by these breaches or not. We've certainly seen an increase in um, phishing emails, text messages and phone calls lately. Yeah, it's so extensive, isn't it, though? You've first got to process the fact that your 
data has been stolen mm-hmm. and I've seen some of the the notifications, if I'm completely frank, some of them are not super high quality, right? There was one that came out from an organisation I won't name mm-hmm. where it was like, don't worry, your passport password hasn't been stolen. They've only got your name, your address, your date of birth, your driver's licence, your passport number and literally every other piece of information about you that could allow someone to take out a half-million-dollar loan in your in your name. Like because one of those ones was like that is a shocking communication. You know, I would vastly prefer someone had my password that I could change immediately than my passport that's going to take me three months if I'm lucky. You know, it was just, it was quite, it felt really poorly handled, but also it took, some time after that to get really a clear understanding of what had been stolen and what hadn't uh, because there was your driver's license has been stolen and then, oh, no, it was only your car, your license number and not your card number and they would need both of those things in order to do something with it. It was just one of those ones to be like, God, I'm not really getting enough detail from this to know where to go next. Being in the security team, part of my role is when we have an incident, thankfully not a data breach like this, but um, is to write the communications about what's happening to share with various groups. And you can only write them with the information you have at the time. And it is always a fine line to walk between providing as much information as possible, but only things that we're absolutely sure um, are true now and will continue to be true. So it is a hard space to play in. Some organisations have done a better job than others. Um, but it's um, something that we can all, I think, learn from looking at the breaches that have happened, what's worked and what hasn't worked and what's helpful to share with customers when and um, how best to go about that in the future if, unfortunately, this does happen again. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, you know, I know obviously the poor soul writing the communication is not responsible for what has happened. Mm. Is there any value in contacting? So you mentioned putting a lock on your credit file, which is really useful unless you need your credit file, such as if you need to take out a mortgage or refinance or trying to get a personal loan or you've got business credit that you are after or something like that. Is there any value in contacting your financial providers and letting them know if your data has been stolen or you think it has? Definitely. Keep an eye on your accounts for any unusual activity and contact the bank if you see any. Um, If you've been notified that payment information has been exposed, like a credit card, Um, or even your bank account details, depending on the breach, do definitely let the bank know in that circumstance so they can can take appropriate action, whatever that might be for that particular incident. Um, Personal anecdote, but it makes me laugh. You have to be careful about what what you see in your accounts. I saw a transaction, it was a couple of years ago, that was, it looked, I I didn't recognise the name on it. It was a very... Uh, you know, international first something, something kind of name. One of those ones that feels a bit not right. And it was a PayPal transaction and my husband doesn't do PayPal. I use it relatively frequently. And so I was like, that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. So I rang the bank, which was NAB. I was like, hey, I'm a bit concerned about a transaction on my credit account, on my credit card. And it was a joint credit card. And I, I've, I I did also Google the name, right? And I was like, it, it's not tracking to anything. Like it's not going immediately to a website that I recognize or anything like that. The name wasn't showing up anywhere. Anyway, the poor guy on the end of the phone has finally kind of tracked down who the, uh, the merchant was. And it turned out it was a wine merchant. And I immediately was like, 
Oh God, that's definitely us. I'm so sorry. I have to go now. I had to hang up. I was like, okay, yep, no, that one was us. I apologize. I'm gonna hang up. It's uh, but good to keep an eye on it. He was very sweet about it. Poor kid. I probably wasted heaps of his time. Oh, best to be vigilant, though, Jonas. So no, that's absolutely the right thing to do. It's um, yes, and maybe keep a closer eye on where you're buying from. In our case, or just remember what you've spent. Uh, one thing I will say. Yeah, we talked mm-hmm. when I when I spoke with you guys some years ago, we talked about scams in particular. And that was because someone I was close to had been scammed. And mm-hmm. it was someone who's extremely vigilant and had taken great care not to be scammed. And that happened anyway. And again, felt so foolish and all of those things. But it does feel like scammers are really getting increasingly sophisticated. There's an SMS one going around at the moment about tolls you know you've missed a toll you need to make a payment here's a link uh there's so many that you may not be thinking of there's also a whatsapp one mom here's my new number just use this number i need some money that kind of thing what are people what are the main scams going around at the moment are there any new ones you guys are seeing i've seen a lot at the moment including um that toll one that you mentioned Um, What we are seeing right now is a lot of calls and SMS that are pretending to come from NAB. And what a lot of people don't realize is that criminals can uh, often set the sender name to NAB for SMSs. So it looks like it's come from NAB. It might appear in the same conversation as legitimate messages you've received from NAB. And for phone calls, they can actually mimic our phone number sometimes that appears on your screen. So it might look like NAB's calling you from one of our numbers, like 132265, for example. And that can make the messages and the calls seem much more legitimate. So the kinds of things they might say is that a payment's on hold or there's been a loan application um, and to call a number if that wasn't you and therefore the SMSs. Or for the calls, they might say there's fraud on your account and you need to move your money to another account um, to keep it safe. So those can be really compelling, unfortunately. And a lot of people don't realise that criminals can um, make it look like it comes from NAB like that. We're working behind the scenes with the telcos to make that much more difficult for criminals, as are a lot of organisations across the industry. But for now, we need to remind people that can happen. And just because it looks like it's from NAB or another bank or um, NBN, someone like that, doesn't mean that it is. Um, So you need to stop and pause before you act on those messages. NAB won't call asking for information like that or tell you to move your money around. It's safe where it is. So if in doubt, hang up and call NAB back on our official number on the back of your cards or on our website. And um, we also have our security alerts page at nab.com.au slash security alerts, where we post the latest messages that we're seeing. We update that page every couple of days. So if you get something that you're not sure about, you can pop on there and have a look and see if we already know about it as well. I had no idea that, like I'm aware that you can get a scam message that looks like it comes from the legitimate provider in terms of the name. I had no idea it would fall into the chat history Mm. of the legitimate number. That's right. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it's your smartphone trying to be helpful and it doesn't know what NAB or NBN or ATO means, but it just sees the same name has sent you multiple messages, so it puts them together. It's trying to be helpful, um, which can make it look much more legitimate. I absolutely understand. But the kinds of messages that NAB will send you will be providing information. They'll probably call you by your name. 
and they won't have links to click on asking you to provide information. So hopefully there's some things that help people tell those apart. Um, but just a reminder to treat each message on its own merit, no matter whether it appears in the same conversation as legitimate ones um, or even if it says it's from NAB. Yeah, that's fascinating. I feel like that's not a super helpful thing for your phone to do. Could you match the numbers, not the name? The number is more important. So mm. when when you're getting scammed, there's obviously the scams where they're just trying to convince you to transfer money. They're trying to just get access to account details so they can steal. Are they also looking for data? Are they looking to get the kinds of information that might be on the dark web now? Or is it just cheaper for them to buy it off the dark web? Uh, we do certainly see really sophisticated SMS phishing campaigns where they'll ask for your NAB ID and password, but then they'll go further and want your date of birth, um, tax file number, passport number, um, driver's license, physical address, and then often a selfie of you holding your passport and or driver's license or Medicare card number. So those ones, you know, we say they're collecting the full set of information about people which can be used for identity theft or um, could also be used um, to uh, be involved in a scam, maybe impersonating you. Um, so, you know, if you've ever tried to sell a car on Gumtree or something like that, you get people messaging you saying, oh, yeah, um, this is me. Here's my ID document so you can see it's really me. Um, information may be used in ways like that as well. Yeah, that's extraordinary. I guys always see these just quite incredible things. Actually, a friend of mine, her husband, uh, someone mm -hmm. had taken out a driver's license in his name yeah. and had had then taken out a loan and I can't remember how they found out, but the, when they went to the bank where the loan had been taken out, uh, the mm -hmm. they were like, oh, here's the driver's license. She's like, that's not my husband. That's, yeah. that's not him. That picture is somebody else. It's incredible. Mm. Yeah, so where we have the power to protecting that information and making sure we don't give it out is really important. So what else should people be looking out for at the moment? I mean, it feels it feels so unkind to say to people, you know, you need to be so vigilant, mm. but, you know, there aren't a great deal of alternatives at this point in time. What should people be looking out for? And is there anything else they can do to protect themselves? Yeah, sure. So like I said, the main thing we see at the moment is messages and calls asking you to provide personal and banking information or to move that money around. And NAB won't ask you to do those things. If we do need you to verify your identity, for example, we'll provide other ways to do it safely, such as calling us back on a phone number that's listed on our website, going into a branch or doing it in the app or internet banking so you know you're somewhere secure. And in terms of other things that people can do um, to feel better protected, especially if they've had data exposed lately, um, there's the Data Breach Charity ID Care, which NAB is a subscriber to. They have fantastic information to help people impacted by data breaches and scams. And at the moment, they have dedicated pages for each major breach that we've seen with really specific information about the risk for each data type and the actions that you can take. So their website is idcare.org. And we tell people to focus on getting the basics right. So as I said, unique passwords, turn on multi-factor if you can, and we have guides on our website on how to do that. That's at nab.com.au slash MFA. And to watch out for suspicious messages and calls and keep an eye on your bank accounts. And we also have our security hub at nab.com.au slash security. 
We have lots of really great practical information, including free monthly webinars for um, customers and the community. Um, everyone's welcome. We have guides on protecting yourself online. And we also have articles and videos so people can pop on there, uh, do a bit of reading and feel a bit better protected. So one thing that has come out of this whole extraordinary period where this these stories are coming to light and it's it's so challenging for people but particularly for businesses is how important it is for businesses to protect the data that they accumulate it's probably two questions in this so I'll ask them one after the other do you think that it's time for businesses to get very clear about how much data they collect and then how much they keep. I, I've always been really uncomfortable when you go into a shop and they're like, hi, sign up for our loyalty program. What's your date of birth? And I'm like, do you need that information? You have to get my address if I'm going to get something sent to me. Fair enough. I don't think you need my date of birth as well. You know, and they're like, oh, so we can send you a birthday gift or 20% off or something. I'm like, I really don't feel like you need that information. Just send me 20% off when you feel like it. Uh, you know, do you think businesses are going, we might have to find another way to engage with our customers without taking all their personal info? Definitely. So I think that's been one silver lining of these data breaches. It's really made um, the government get actively involved and um, the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, the OAIC, is, um, has already come out to say they're going to do um, a revisit of um, our privacy laws to look at how much data is acceptable for businesses to be holding and keeping and for how long. And this has certainly come up in the past with other data breaches, but it's a really fantastic reminder for organisations to inspect what are they holding, how long have they had it, and do they still need it? And then as we collect new information to say how much do we actually need to collect, is it reasonable for us to be collecting this and would people be expecting us to hold it for this long? Uh, so I think that's one really great benefit that's come up. And um, coming back to your date of birth um, comment, what I personally do if I'm in a shop like that and, you know, it's a stationary shop or somewhere that doesn't need to know my date of birth for any real reason, I just make it up. No one says you have to give them your real one. So if you do want that discount, 20% off at birthday time, just give them a similar date of birth. That's not quite right. I don't think there's any harm in that. And it just means it's one less piece of information that you've put out into the world about yourself. Yeah, I also... Um have done that for many years yeah. um and but I have to say if anyone's trying to steal my identity and has taken any of those data points they're going to be very confused <laughs> <laughs> nothing matches it's quite confusing um it's uh it's it's ridiculous I do find it quite interesting but then also when we spoke last uh and I was speaking to a different member of your team mm -hmm. she was talking about some of the scams that were being perpetrated against businesses. So the risks for business are not just now that you have to think long and hard about your customer's data and mm -hmm. what you acquire and where you keep it and how long you keep it, but also your processes. And she was talking about some of the invoicing scams mm. and so mm -hmm. on that were just they're not as well known, right? Because people are not experiencing them on a personal basis every day. And I can't imagine any business wants to ever disclose that they've had that experience. Yeah. Can you give a couple of examples? I think it's really telling to warn people about some of these. Definitely. So we are still seeing a lot of invoice scams or business email compromise. And so normally what happens as a business, you might receive an invoice from a supplier, um, maybe someone you've worked with before or someone new 
and um, most businesses will go ahead and just pay the bank account details that are on the invoice. But unfortunately, what we've been seeing for the last five years or so is often those bank account details have been altered either at the supplier's end if someone's in their email or at your end if someone's in your email. And so what's really important is if you get an invoice um, with changed bank account details or a request to pay money to a new account that we verbally confirm it. Um, there's no point replying to the email to say, hey, are these your correct bank account details? Because if the fraudster's in in the email account somewhere, they'll respond and say, yep, that's absolutely right. So it's important to make an out-of-band confirmation, and that means a different channel. So phone call or SMS is great. Um, and that's where supplier relationships are really important because if you can call someone you know at the other business and say, hey, I just saw you asked to change your bank account details, is that right? Um, they'll respond and say, no, we didn't. And it just makes for an easier process. Otherwise, you can call um, their publicly listed phone number from their website. It's important not to rely on the phone number on the invoice because if the bank account details have been altered, the phone number will have as well. And that's something that we see a lot. So we had a really good news story uh, lately, actually, Gemma, with an invoice scam like that. So as I mentioned, my team runs a lot of customer um, cybersecurity and fraud presentations and a lot of webinars. And we had a, um, a small business attend one of our webinars. We talk about invoice scams a lot. They went away. In a couple of days, they received an invoice with uh, changed bank account details. And because they'd attended our session, um, they knew to call and verify. And it was a scam. And they saved themselves $500,000. So, you know, that 30-second phone call to call and verify might seem annoying, but if it could save you 500 grand or even $5,000, it's absolutely worth it. That's incredible. I know uh, the story from the last time we spoke was Brisbane City Council getting scammed, but it was slightly less amount, a smaller amount of money than that. So it's just it's mm. for those of us who are not working in small business and are not having to think about those things. Running a business is hard enough without yeah. worrying that people are giving you fraudulent invoices. And the worst part about it is you've paid that money away, and then you still have to pay the original contractor who's wondering where their money's gone. Uh, it's uh, it's hard, but really valuable for people to be aware that those are the other things that you need to be thinking about as a business. Recently. A NAB customer wanted to make a $6 million transaction, which was normal for them, no problem. Um, and their banker received the instructions and um, was about to pay um, to a company in Singapore as instructed. But um, they noticed that there was some typos in the email, which was out of character for the recipient. And so they called the end recipient and checked the bank account details and their uh, email had been intercepted as well. So that NAB banker saved their customer $6 million dollars. Um, from business email compromise, which is pretty cool. And that's because they've done their security training at the bank. That's unbelievable. I mean, the, the email compromise thing is quite shocking. Mm. The idea that it is so easy to hack an email to that to that point. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel for business. You have enough things to deal with without worrying about that as well. But it's, it's fabulous that you guys are doing the work just to help people in these situations. It's... Um, it's hard, but it's so valuable. Laura, you've mentioned a number of websites that people can go to to get more information. Can you run through through those just again, talk about the webinars, tell people where they can go? Because I just think even though it's it feels boring and it doesn't feel like a, uh, a fun or useful uh, way to spend your time, if it 
if it saves you in the future, and I think we've all just had such a wake-up call when you see businesses the size of Optus who've, you know, got millions of customers' data uh, in a situation like this, it's just a bit of a wake-up call for all of us. So do you mind running through some of those things again uh, just to help people have somewhere to go to keep this front of mind? So NAB Security Hub is nab.com.au slash security. Uh, so we have on there, they'll find um, we have a whole uh, cybersecurity hub for business with the webinars that I mentioned that run once a month. We have our security podcast. Um, we have lots of articles and videos and the security alerts. So that's nab.com.au slash security. Another great source of information is the government's website, the Australian Cyber Security Centre. That one is cyber.gov.au. They have lots of useful guides for individuals and businesses on how to better protect themselves, and we do a lot of work together. And then the last one I think I mentioned was ID Care, which is the um, data breach and scams charity that can help people impacted by those things. Their website is idcare.org. That's amazing. Thank you, Laura Hartley Quinn from NAB Group Security. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We love having you join us. It's really nice to be able to share something a little bit different, even though the topic is pretty, pretty terrifying sometimes. We love getting suggestions and feedback and thoughts for future topics from you guys. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.